0: a
1: work by Claude Debussy from his collection A Stamp or Prints or Engravings. This is Pagodas. We're told by François de Debussy the influence of Japanese art on Westerners became palpable from the mid-19th century and especially after the 1862 World's Fair in London. In France, the 1878 World's Fair marked a turning point in artists' interest in Japanese art. Louis Gonz organized a monumental exhibition of more than 3,000 works at the Galerie Georges Petit in 1883. Meanwhile, several painters Degas, Monet, Van Gogh, and Lautrec, to cite but a few, drew on Japanese prints for inspiration in their own works. Many were collectors. Monet owned an exceptional collection of almost 200 prints. Like such painters, Claude Debussy was fascinated by estampes, the colored woodcut prints of especially Hokusai and Hiroshige. Edward Lockspiser devotes several pages to this interest of Debussy's, fed by his friendship in the 1890s with the sculptor Camille Claudel, with whom he would peruse... Albums of Hokusai. In fact, a copy of Hokusai's The Great Wave at Kanagawa hung on Debussy's study wall for many years, and a stylized reproduction of it adorned the front cover of the first edition of La Mer at Debussy's request. A journalist visiting Debussy in 1911 noted that in his study the main item was a Japanese koto, the instrument. Meanwhile, composer Ernest Chausson had a collection of approximately 50 prints with a series of works by Hokusai in Hiroshige. The core of his collection included Yukioe, images of a floating world that were permeated mostly by the characters of Kabuki theater, the world of the geisha, and the pleasures of Edo. These prints were created for many purposes. Souvenirs for tourists visiting Edo, the Red Lantern district, among other places, or calendars. Meanwhile, one of Debussy's acquaintances, Julien Thierceau, wrote this theatre review. We hear the instruments playing throughout almost the entire performance, but what discretion! The sole chamisen, played by a single musician backstage, forms the core of the orchestra. Sometimes a small drum adds its clear rhythms to the silvery sounds of the string instrument, otherwise there is only a simple timbre. These are just some of the elements swirling around in Paris in 1900, influencing a composer like Claude Debussy. For him, the prints of the Edo period were not just lovely images for his musical manuscripts. He studied their proportions, rhythms, and colors, and we're told somehow translated his experience of those prints into his own musical language. We have an opportunity to come face to face with prints by some of the very same Japanese artists that meant so much to Debussy. As we just learned, he had a koto, the instrument, in his study, and the theater pieces he probably attended featured another traditional Japanese instrument, the shamisen. The Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia University in Dallas, just outside Wilkes-Barre, is presenting an exhibition titled Floating Beauty. Women in the Art of ukiyo through March 10th. On February 15th, there will be a concert featuring Masayo Ishigore and her company, performing on Koto and Shamisen. Dr. Lalaine Little is director of the Polly Friedman Art Gallery and an adjunct professor in the Department of Fine Arts at Misericordia. Dr. Little joined us in the WVIA radio studio to talk with Ken Hutchinson, a Shamisan player with Masao's company, to learn about the exhibition and the concert performance.
0: We are presenting Floating Beauty, which is drawn from the permanent collections of the Reading Public Museum in Reading, Pennsylvania. It's a collection of about 51 woodblock prints from the Edo period of Japan, so Uh, early 17th century to late 18th and then very early 19th century. It's quite a long period of time. And the focus of the woodblock prints is the roles of women during that time, both as subjects of the woodblock prints as well as of landscapes. So there's a bit of variety in how women are portrayed in these.
1: If we have some sense of an image in our mind Mm -hmm. of what that might be, This is a chance really to experience the texture, the colors in person and the whole rhythm of the pieces and get a sense of scale as well.
0: Absolutely. So these prints were a standard size. They were essentially the fan posters of the era. So they were relatively inexpensive to purchase and folks would get them in order to familiarize themselves with the pleasure districts in Edo, which is now Tokyo. And what does that term suggest? It suggests that they are trying to get away from the constrictions of society and go into a world where not birth, not status, but money was the was the currency and you could go in and see plays and you could hear literature being read you could see artwork and you could especially see the processions of women dressed in beautiful fabrics and in their kimonos uh, having tea playing instruments and all of the finer arts of the time period
1: are the faces we see idealized are they portraits of people we know and would recognize or are they idealized?
0: There's a mix. Most of them are idealized. This is about presenting women as demure, as elegant, as servile, and as talented. And so the individual faces of the women are not necessarily recognizable unless it's explicitly this is an actor, or this is an actor playing a woman in a famous play. So there's both kinds in the show.
1: There's a great deal of movement in this with the sense of the flowing of the fabrics, and we're looking at the poster of the show. Mm -hmm. But the two characters, high, low, there is text as well. So it's very
0: busy. There is a, a bunch of components to these works. So there's the figures themselves, the, the subjects being portrayed, as well as the calligraphy and the cartouche that might either say who the, the portrayed is, is it a famous geisha, is it a famous actor, is it a poem? So some of them will have bits of poems that are in calligraphy along the side, and then there will be the name of the artist because we're starting to see that certain schools of woodblock print are well known for, for these kinds of prints. So you'll see, if you're familiar with the genre, Uh, Harunobo Hokusai, who did The Wave, for example, Hiroshige uh, Toyokuni is another one that people would recognize.
1: Is there an apprenticeship for an artist? How does one learn to be a woodblock artist?
0: These would have been created in a workshop series. So there's the artist who creates the original image, and then you have the carver who works with the different... So if you think of every color in the poster as a different woodblock... There's somebody responsible for doing the black outlines. There's somebody responsible for doing the reds. You have someone who is an expert in color who is mixing the particular colors. And things like blue that you might see on Huxai's Wave, for example, were initially very expensive, very rare to make. And so when audiences saw that very rich blue and and a true blue, not, not the indigo, not the kind of washed out that they'd seen before, that created real excitement. Imagine just seeing, just going nuts over the color blue.
1: You started by saying the textiles are absolutely gorgeous.
0: Was that an art in and of itself, dyeing the textiles? or Absolutely, absolutely. And this is the way that the merchants made their money. Now, in the class system of the Edo period, the merchants were the very lowest by birth. They were the lowest class. And in the 17th century, the merchants were at the top of the heap economically, but they couldn't appropriately spend all of their money in society because they were not allowed to. So the Yoshiwara district was a way for them to exert themselves, to assert themselves without being inappropriate.
1: You mentioned the playing of music in the district. Ken has been with us and introduce us to Ken.
0: Yes, I'd like to introduce audiences to Ken Hutchinson, who is a musician with the company of Masayo Ishigure, who is out of New York. She has trained in Koto, especially, and the company is also going to present at Misericordia, Shakuhachi, and uh, Shamisen. And Ken, if you would like to tell us what those different instruments are and perhaps how you came to start playing them.
2: I am specifically studying shamisen, although a lot of people will do both as training and habit. Many people study both. Maybe if you're to be professional, it is required of you. I came into it more as a hobbyist than a curiosity. And so shamisen is what I'm focusing on. And it's been for about 15 years now. Whereas in the beginning, I really just took it to learn an instrument and play a song and then move on my way. But somehow it turned into 15 years of really intense study and practice, uh, the need to get better and better.
0: Can you explain what a shamisen looks like and what it might sound like? It's, it's an instrument that came
2: really from China and it traveled to, let's say, Okinawa and then from there to the mainland and evolved and became accepted and, and transformed by the Japanese into their arts. It looks like a banjo. It kind of sounds like a banjo. It has only three strings, however, so it looks like a guitar or a banjo, but it has its own very unique qualities. These are all handmade instruments, And but let me say this. It, it's an instrument that is made of natural materials, wood. Mostly, uh, could be ebony or it could be red sandalwood, and it's constructed uh, of three different segments. There's uh, something called the doe, the body, and this is basically a drum with skin on both sides. Traditionally, in the old days, they would use mammal skin like cat or dog. More recently, we've moved towards uh, synthetic materials, more sensitive materials, and that's the doe. And then there's the long and thin neck. It's called the sow. And it has no frets. So here again, we move away from the guitar and banjo. like no frets, just a thin, long piece of wood. And then the, towards the other side is the headstock, or in Japanese, the tenjin. Um, and here there's a little pegboard with the three pegs going, the tuning pegs. And so the strings are then wound around the pegs and it's all held together by friction.
1: And Ken, does it project or is it really an intimate sound? You know,
2: it, it's a, it's an intimate sound, but it has, you can create a fairly big sound. This is an acoustic instrument, and it's made to be heard in an environment where amplification, I mean, you could do it, and, and often in our concerts where we have a larger hall, we have microphones to amplify the sound. But there is something unique about the sound. Uh, let me just describe this. The, the three strings are made of silk, and what's interesting about these silk strings is that they are are uh, very sensitive to the environment, to temperature, and so keeping these instruments in tune is always quite quite a challenge. And then on top of that, you have no frets, so you you know you can hit that pitch, and you're kind of in the neighborhood, and it's done. The, the really skilled players have a, a sense of where their hand is going to press, and uh, if you're less skilled, and when I started out, of course, you couldn't hit the pitch at all, and it was very embarrassing. Oh my God, this sounds terrible. And uh, so you can sort of slide into the note if you can. So with practice, though, so it gets better and better. But, but these three strings are made of silk. They are dyed yellow with turmeric, which I think is interesting. And they break quite easily. The, the strings are held with a silk knot on the one end. And on the other end, of course, they're tied to the tuning pegs. And they are held up off of the skin of the, the body of this instrument with a bridge, usually made of sometimes bone, plastic, uh, in the old days, ivory. It's called the coma. It's the bridge. And so you hit these strings and the body of the guitar with a very large pick called a bachi. The bachi has a very unique shape. It looks... I've heard people describe it as a ginkgo leaf, kind of a fan shape. It's very large and cumbersome, and so you hold it in a particular way, and you slap down on the string and hit the body. So it's kind of a percussive instrument as well. Uh, you know, it's more percussive, I would say, than it is uh, like a guitar, a string instrument. That percussive sound is very unique to Shamisen. The lowest string, actually, is the key. There's a nut on the, the headstock side, which keeps the strings up off the fretboard. But the lowest string, which is known as the first string, Ichi no Ito, is not on that nut. It's in a little notch. And in the notch, it holds it against the, the neck. But there's a little shallow scalloped piece of wood at that point, which allows the string to vibrate. And the, it's called a salari, the sound. And this buzzing is very important to, to the instrument. And it's something that I think professionals would be very critical of. If you don't have a, a proper salari sound, they would go, hmm, that's not it. You know, and for me, for me in the beginning, it, it would have hardly mattered. But now, the more I, I've been playing and the longer I hear it, the sound, well, I, I see that it does make a difference. And far be it for me to want to not have the proper, so obviously, you work on that, you work on that, and you work on setting the string properly so that it helps get that sound it's quite fascinating actually even though i think maybe an audience who hears it for the first time will not recognize the difference in any way and yet when you're playing it it's so ultra important
1: and ken what happens when you are holding it are you sitting on the floor are you on a stool are you standing right traditionally you sit seiza which is sitting on
2: your knees on the floor and you know if you're not used to that that's quite painful in fact we've played shows where I'm sitting there and waiting for the shamisen piece to, to come around, sitting in place for 20 minutes, then you play your piece, and then you have to get off the stage and you have no more feeling in your legs. You're completely shot and you, you know you have trouble standing up. But I think, like everything, you know, you get used to it the more you do it. So Seiza is the, is the standard and traditional way of playing these instruments. The body sits in your, you know, on your thighs as you're kneeling there in front of the audience. Uh, however, there are many uh, situations where we're sitting in chairs. Um, that's quite a relief for me as a Westerner, but maybe we're playing in a different uh, venue, maybe it's uh, the, the way it looks. Maybe we're not playing in kimono, and we're sitting in chairs and in some modern composition. So it, it, it runs the gamut. you can you can play the instrument any way you want and as the situation necessitates.
1: I'm seizing right on that phrase you just used, can modern composition? Do you play a mix of traditional pieces and actually composed pieces?
2: We we, we really do. Let me um, also clarify. I think in shamisen music, there's typically, I would say, three main kinds of shamisen and maybe ten or more kinds of music that's associated with those types of shamisen and we play juta shamisen that's the style that we play this is the style that's promoted by the school that was founded by my teacher's teacher and that is tadao sawai and it's it's a more more traditional sound however tadao sawai was kind of a pioneer of koto and shamisen and a master composer and he tried to push composition to be more contemporary and to change um, how the koto and the shining center are perceived by audiences particularly modern audiences and to move it into the future right because it's not just the museum. This is not a museum it's not a graveyard of old pieces that we just drag out and perform because right it's constantly evolving the music evolves even though the instruments themselves are exactly the same as they've always been there's no improvements these instruments. I mean, you may change the material well, the skin material, but the composition, the makeup, uh, the design, everything is exactly the same since the 17th century.
1: What about telling stories, Ken? Do these pieces tell stories? They, they do. I would say, you know,
2: I, I am not the historian who could talk deeply about it. However, what I've gathered is that the songs, I mean, maybe the whole art form, really developed alongside with puppet theater. You know, they were accompanying the, the puppet theater performance of the no theater performances. And as those art forms transformed and became, say, kabuki theater, the shamisen came along for the ride and still is accompanying these art forms. But when you move forward into now, in the 20th century and 21st century, people are composing pieces for as they're commissioned, you know whether it was an event, you know some tradition to be done every year. Whether it was just to reflect, you know, their feelings, just like any any um, artist in the states say where you know, oh, you know, it's a very personal. You know, I'm trying to to convey the feelings uh, that I've gone through uh, this past year. People are doing that. It's just like any musician and any composer at this point. So we have a lot of these contemporary compositions that I think don't have a story to tell so much as there's a title and you might create an image and so you might get a feeling or an image from these pieces and a lot of them are are images of nature and so you'll see a lot of the titles like uh, ginga which means a galaxy the stars and so you would then imagine oh yes i can get that feeling from this this piece as you're listening to it
1: the opportunity for people to experience these woodcuts and then to hear this music that May have been from the time, but maybe contemporary seems like a wonderful thing. Not that you have had to, Ken, but have you immersed yourself in the course of your coming to be a skilled player in the, for example, visual arts
2: yeah, Lelaine, I was, I was listening to your description of With a Floating Beauty, the woodblock print exhibit. And this is quite a, quite a coincidence because I would say, my training, by the way, is as, a, as an architect. And I, oh. and I worked for a long time. So Shami Sen came to me as, as a hobby, like I mentioned. But it's become something that I've done more and more. And it's sort of taking over my life. And, and I've since retired being an architect. So I guess music has become very important. But the, my favorite art form... Happens to be the Yukiyoe U- 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 woodblock prints. I love that because I, I do a lot of illustrating myself and I am very inspired by that style. And particularly, let's uh, say, artists like Kuniyoshi and Hiroshige, and particularly uh, Sharaku, I think it is, because he, he, he is known for those very quirky, almost kabuki artist tortures. They're, they're, they're very quirky when I look at them, but there's something so alluring. And so, you know, kabuki and the shamisen go hand in hand, and then sharaku with his woodblock prints, it all kind of ties together. So I, I, I'm fascinated by it, and I do see it all working together. My, I have, like, an idea for the future where I want, you know, the forms to be able to combine these things, whether through projections. or I, I just think that they belong together, and people would love to see, you know, the music and the art, particularly woodblock prints, is part of the, some kind of larger performance. That's something I'm thinking about for the future.
0: I'm I'm actually really excited to hear that. Now, shiraku is like the full face actors' portraits, right? Where they're kind of glaring yeah. out at, yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're they're weird, right? They're, yes. they're, <laughs> but they're fantastic.
0: This set does not have a Shirako, it does have some more close-up portraits, but for the most part, these are a little bit more celebratory of the the, the artistry, I guess, of the time period. There are some actors that are playing female characters, and in those the action is quite aggressive but mm. uh, but yes, I see what you mean because especially if we're thinking of Koto and Shamisen as a traditional art form and we're trying to make it more modern and contemporary and, and have people realize that there are modern composers working with Shamisen and Koto, then the Shiraku I think is a good pairing with that because it is so high emotional.
2: It is. And, and the other thing which you know, I really didn't know much about uh, the woodblock Prince. I had always assumed there's an artist slaving away in a studio, but it's a highly collaborative studio-like process, right? I mean, similarly for music, uh, you can play shamisen by yourself in the room, but without the the ensemble, it, it just doesn't, you know, you need the ensemble. It's important to have that
1: collaboration. Will you tell us about your music director, Masao?
2: I don't think I could do her justice. I mean, she's been doing it for a long time and maybe over 25 years now in, in New York City alone. But what I can say is that she was a living student with Sadao Sawai, which was a unique opportunity. Uh, for anyone living in Japan at the time. I, I don't know, I can't think of an equivalent to, to relate to here in the States, but you had the opportunity to study with someone you admired and someone who was a real pioneer in whatever art you were studying. That would be an amazing uh, one-off thing. And she was able to do that. So she studied with, with the Soai, and not just Tadao Soai, but his wife, Kazue Soai, who's also one of those brilliant koto masters. And, and she came and became a master herself, and then they started to send the, these masters, students across the globe to spread the, the music and, and the art, so uh, you know where some people may have been sent to Australia or Thailand or uh, she was sent to New York City. So she came here with nothing other than the blessings of her, her school you know, and created her own little studio and, and it grew And then she also was able to be invited and promote herself to larger performances uh, with orchestras and collaborations with many different kinds of artists to where she is today. Uh, And again, she's been recognized by the Japanese Embassy as an important artist celebrating Japan and promoting Japan culture. And I came to her just by chance. I found her online, her website, and I wanted to take lessons. And so I was introduced to her via that. Uh, and again, it you know, was quite a discovery and quite fortunate for me. So uh, she then has been taking me and other students to her performance, which I think, again, for, for any teacher of the instrument, it's quite uh, unique for Massa Ishiguri. She had the, the courage or the confidence uh, in her students to take them to performances with her. For me, I was sort of terrified because it's not my reputation, it's her reputation. So I would work even harder to make sure that I didn't mess up, you know, these performances. I, and But again, that opportunity that she gave us is really unique, right? It it inspired us to work harder, to become better. Even if, you know, if we're serious at the beginning, you become pretty serious quickly if you think you're going to be playing in front of people and your teacher's reputation is part of that. So as a teacher, uh, I think, as an educator, she is as, I mean, it's an equal measure of of professionalism and um, just generosity as she is uh, as a musician on her own right. So, I mean, the other thing, she's... She's done what you can see, and on her website, she's been involved in um, movie soundtracks. She was invited to perform with John Williams and Yo-Yo Ma, and so she, you know, she's had quite an experience, quite a career.
0: I want to say that we were really lucky to get Masaya's company. I think when I contacted her maybe a year ago, over a year ago, uh, we were basically between gigs and trying to take advantage of of a break in her schedule. So uh, I also want to say that this performance is sponsored in part with a grant from the Pennsylvania Council of the Arts. They have a new grant cycle this year called the Creative Sector Flex Fund. And it's especially for organizations that program in the arts and try to bring diverse audiences to, uh, to campuses like ours in rural areas. We say goodbye to Ken on behalf of both of us. Arigato gozaimashita. Arigato
2: gozaimashita. Arigato
1: gozaimashita.
0: Thank you so much, Ken. It was nice to meet you. I'll see you on the 15th.
1: Dr. Lalaine Little Director of the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery and Adjunct Professor in the Department of Fine Arts at Misericordia University in Dallas, just outside Wilkes-Barre. And we were joined by Ken Hutchinson, a shamisen player with Maseo Ishigure. Maseo and her company will come to Misericordia in connection with the current exhibition, Floating Beauty, Women in the Art of ukiyo and the exhibition will run through March 10th. The performance will be Thursday, February 15th at 7 in the evening in Le Theatre on the campus, and it is Marcel Ishigure and Company performing traditional and contemporary music on Koto and Shamisen. It is free and open to the public. For more information on the web, misericordia.edu slash art Misericordia dot slash art the exhibition floating beauty women in the art of ukiyo and it's running through march 10th at the polly friedman art gallery at misericordia university in dallas just outside of wilkes the musical performance will take place on thursday february 15th so one week from this evening at seven in le Mans theater maseo ishigure and her company and it is free and open to the public. For more information on the web, misericordia.edu slash art, misericordia.edu art.